let's rock and roll. All right, if you have uh, your Bibles, can you uh, open them to the book of uh, 1 Timothy, please? I, just, I don't know why I just got this funny, like, please, please open to 1 Timothy. Um, I was supposed to do an announcement tonight telling you that we're going to three services and a date in April, but uh, we may actually have, we've got another lead on a building that is, me, so... Yeah, so I'm just teasing you all to say there's change coming, but we're not exactly sure what it is yet. So next week, hopefully we'll know for certain. Amen? Amen. All right, well, let's pray, and then, uh, and then we'll, I'll, I'll preach. So uh, you can hold hands, and if you think the person next to you is cute, just squeeze them. <laughs> Two squeezes means I like you. I haven't done this in a while, so hopefully you're still picking your seats wisely. All right, Lord, we thank you that you're here in your house tonight with your people, and I just ask that you'll speak so clearly straight from heaven, and that you will inspire us, God, to be more like Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we're going to continue this series on uh, wisdom, which is kind of getting the perspective of God on matters, and I talked about accountability two weeks ago. Who's here? Yeah, Okay. Um, and, you know, wisdom is looking and seeing the implications, getting God's perspective on things. So um, I'm going to talk about something tonight, uh, and we're going to try to get God's perspective on it. And it's, a, it's an awesome topic. We're going to talk about money. Who's excited? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Hopefully you stay that excited. So I think sometimes you say woo, and on the inside you're like cringing, like, uh-oh. I didn't know that was tonight. I would have gone to a different church. Uh, but I'm going to talk really about generosity. And, you know, John 3.16 is like one of the most famous verses. You know, God so loved, he gave, right? God so loves the world that he gave. He bankrupted heaven. He is so generous. And so if we're to be a people of love, a community of agape, they should say of the church, they so loved the world, they gave. They gave of their best, right? So I'm going to talk about uh, generosity, and in particularly in the realms of finances. And I just want to start by saying that uh, wealth is a life of generosity, right? So I'm not here to advocate on behalf of material riches. I'm here to advocate on us being a wealthy people that live lives marked by the generosity of God. So... Uh, Whenever we talk about money, there's kind of two poles of thought that I have personally experienced that I both think are missing the biblical uh, understanding of money. And the first pole of thought, which I think um, is, is uh, less than God's fullness, is uh, when you feel uh, manipulated into giving. So uh, I could probably say, raise your hands if any of you have had a bad experience feeling manipulated into giving. I'm sure a lot of people could raise their hand, particularly pertaining to church, unfortunately. And uh, sometimes I've experienced where it feels like the American dream has gotten woven into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's kind of this mixed message of, you know, give money so that you will get more. Is essentially uh, the, the manipulation that I have seen present and I've experienced. Uh, and there's also another form of manipulation that I've also experienced, which is kind of this fear of punishment. Which is, if you don't tithe, you're in trouble. You're getting punished. Right? And I would say that too falls short of the biblical standard. It says there's no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. That's not 
the God of love. That is not how he operates. Um, and so uh, the fear of punishment is also not a good motivator for giving. Uh, and I have noticed, and I'm sure all of us can again attest, that we've had bad experiences or we have heard of bad experiences of finances being manipulated, specifically in a church or a Christian context. And there's bad stories associated with this that we've all heard and it's jaded us in some way. Um, and then, so that's one pole of thought, which I think is uh, lacking the wisdom of heaven. And then I think there's another pole of thought, which is, well... In light of that, let's just not talk about it. And uh, silence is not God. God talks about it. It's all throughout the Bible. And so I think um, what happens is out of being manipulated, the wound of manipulation, it's like, you know, we'll have our own subjective. Under so we're just going to go and just kind of um, have a vacuum. And we're just not going to talk about it. We'll have our own subjective understanding of what we think it means to give, what it thinks it means to be generous. Um, and it becomes kind of isolated. And in that isolation, I found it's usually the negative voices, the jading voices still ring the loudest. Right, So uh, I think that both of these, silence or manipulation, um, they both fall short of the intended joy that money is intended to bring. Right, And so I just want to take a look, and from the perspective of wisdom, what does God see about money? What does he think when he looks at money? Right, This is not like God's a genius, right? Wall Street's got nothing on him. Okay, he is a financial expert. He knows how to use money, right? He knew how to change the world and turn it upside down, like living in the Galilee. Like, it's not like Jesus was a millionaire, right? Can we agree on that? Yeah. Did anybody know millionaire carpenters in the Middle East 2,000 years ago? Never heard of them, all right? So God's very good with finances. So we need his perspective. What does he think? All right, and I just want to be really forthright here is that my goal tonight is not to promote a theology that has you leave these doors happy and convinced that God wants to make you rich or that more money is coming your way. Okay, I actually want to liberate us from this, uh, this need, like this need that we need more money, right? Money does not equal joy, right? Has anybody like read that, you know, is it People Magazine? Does that, does that look joyful most of the time it's like the newest divorce you know the newest addiction like we we know this but sometimes we get into this thing where it's like oh well the world gets more money and they're not happy but I'm a Christian if I get more money I'm going to do great things too right the point is that money doesn't make us happiness it does not make us happy it does not equate to it and I would even say that the good stewardship of money does not necessarily mean that a whole bunch of money's coming your way that's kind of up to God. The good stewardship of money leads to the increase of joy. Right? Joy is what God's after. Joy is why he gives us these resources that we can use to create joy. All right? So that is my, my, uh, my, my, that's my plug up front. Um, so I'm going to read a verse out of Proverbs chapter 30, and then we're going to jump right after that to 1 Timothy 6. So you don't need to go to Proverbs. Stay at Timothy. We'll read that one together. Um, this is Proverbs chapter 30, uh, verse 7 and 8. It says, Two things I asked of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but feed me with the food that is my portion. I think there's great wisdom in this verse saying two things. Keep me from deception. And in the context, he's saying, keep me from the deception pertaining to finances. Don't, I don't ask for riches and I don't ask for poverty. I ask that you give me my portion. 
right? And I think sometimes we have this lust that is ingrained into us in American society that like, I need more. I need more. I need riches. I need, I need, I need more. And it's like, no, no, no. Don't give me riches. Don't give me, just give me my portion. It's talking of contentment. All right, so now we're at Timothy. Let's read this together. It's, it's uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. It says this, But godliness actually is a means of great gain. Say great gain. Great gain, great gain when, when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Right? They pierced themselves with many griefs because we've been so focused on getting more money. Right? So I just, I just want to like just... Just go with me for the night and just liberate from yourself from this need that, that it's not, we don't need more money. We don't need more money to be joyful, right? And, and the purpose of money isn't, it's like God just doesn't want to necessarily give us more money. We don't need to worry about our finances, right? This is speaking of contentment. If you have your things, be content. Just give me my portion, right? Paul in Philippians 4, he doesn't say, Lord, I've learned the secret of being joyful. It's when you're always giving me more, and I always have abundant finances, and everything's amazing. He says, no, rejoice always. Rejoice always. I'm in the inner prison. Rejoice always. I've learned the secret of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Right? It's just this, there's this theme of contentment. Right? So we have permission to be exceedingly content with what we have. But good stewardship means that we use what we have, and there's great joy attached to it. Okay, so that's what I want to talk about. You know, and I laugh sometimes, you know, even thinking about contentment. Like, do you think Jesus was ever worried about getting more money? <laughs> Doesn't that just sound funny? He's like, Judas, how much do we have? And he's like, Jesus, why? You look kind of stressed. Well, I, just, I got a good tour of the Galilee. I don't know if I got enough money for it. Like, <laughs> isn't that funny? Like, you know, hey, Judas, do we have more than last year? What's our budget look like this year compared to last year? Check the money bag again. Like, Jesus just, I just don't see Jesus being consumed with money. Do you, do you agree with that? Isn't that just a ridiculous thought to think of Jesus stressed about how much money he has? Right? Jesus wasn't focused on money. We shouldn't be focused on money either. What Jesus was focused on was the mission that God had given him. He had a mission. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to bind up broken hearts. I'm going to see people set free. I'm going to establish my church. I'm going to go and I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer, right? He had a mission. And the money came. Funny to follow the mission. His focus was on the mission, right? And money has a missional purpose. God gives it to us for a reason, right? He meets our needs, but then what's above that, which is more than what I think we think is our needs, right? We, we have something above our needs. It's given to support a mission, right? And who likes, uh, does anybody watch the Golden State Warriors play basketball? You're like, where did that come from? Right? I love watching them play. Has anybody noticed how much energy they play with, right? They, in basketball, they have this, this phrase, they say, the ball has energy. 
So as you share the ball, it creates energy. And if you watch the Golden State Warriors play, it's like the ball's whizzing around, and there's energy because of it, right? In the same way, the ball has energy. Money has energy, right? Money has this, it's this, for, it can create things. It can go, it can move, it can shake, it can boom, it can do it, it can purchase, it can give, right? Money, it creates movement, it creates things, it has energy to it. And the reality is that the mission God's given us, the mission God gave Jesus to co-create the kingdom with his father, takes money. Right? And we're creators. We talked about this last week. We have a mission attached to our life to create the kingdom. And money is necessary for that. Amen? Right? You can't really do anything without money, right? You can't even live without money, right? We need money. It's a beautiful thing. And it has energy, um, but it's, its purpose is to accomplish a mission. Jesus isn't focused on money. Jesus is focused on the mission. And he knows it's his father's mission. And who provides who, who provides for God's mission? God. God does. Right? You don't have to like worry. It's like, well, God gave me this vision. Well, who's going to fulfill that? God. God gives the money to fulfill God's mission. So we have permission not to be focused on money, but to be focused on the mission, right? So the purpose of money is to fund the mission, right? Which is to create the kingdom of God on earth, right? Which would be goodness and joy. So I'd say the purpose of money is to create goodness in the earth, which results in joy, all right? So uh, we have to learn how to steward this money so that we can use its energy to create goodness, the kingdom of God, and joy, amen? Okay, so let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 25. That's a commentary on financial stewardship. Straight from the mouth of Jesus. So if we don't like it, you can get mad at him all week. His email, it, I'm just joking. All right, I got like half of you to laugh there. I guess the rest of you are offended. <laughs> I'm losing all my papers up here. Okay, so this is the parable of the talents. Who has read it before? Okay, there's like eight of you. Let's read our Bibles. That'll be next week. Okay, so I'm going to read the first few um, to set it up, and then I'm going to paraphrase just because uh, it's long. Uh, so this is Jesus speaking. He says, uh, he's talking about the kingdom. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents went and traded them gained two more. But he who had received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. All right, so then we learn that after a while, the master returns. The one that had received five doubled it to ten. The one that received two doubled it to four. The one who, who hid the one still had the one. So the one with the ten, the one with the four, give it to the master. And the master says, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with little. You'll be faithful with much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's to the ten talents. To the, the guy that doubled to four. Well done, good and faithful serve. Slave it. Slave it. You're a good slave it. Dang, that's good, man. Just making up words up here. We're creators. <laughs> you are faithful a little. You'll be faithful much. Enter into the joy of your master. Then he gets to the one that hit it, didn't steward it well, gets upset, says, you're a wicked slave. And in the last verse of the parable, he says, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, so I want to, before I move on, I want to just unpack this a bit. 
there's three different people, three different servants, and they're all given three different measures of finances. All right, this is an uncomfortable truth, perhaps, but I would just like to suggest, if you look at our world, there are some people that simply have a gift with money. Do you agree with that? Right? Not everybody has that gift. That's okay. Some people have gifts with people. Some people have a gift with kids. Some people have a gift with horses. Right? There's a lot of gifts. But some people have been given favor to, to steward finances. God has simply given them more talents. And that's okay. Right? And Jesus is saying this. But I'd like to make you notice here. The one that started with five went to ten. His reward was what? Joy. Joy. <laughs> I just squeaked. <laughs> Joy. His reward was joy. Enter into the joy of your master. The one that received two and went to four, what was his reward? Joy. Enter into the joy of your master. I'd like to propose that it doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. The same reward is available to you. The joy of Jesus. Right? And I'd also like to suggest that financially speaking, according to if you look at the stats and the, the populations of the world, everyone in this room, you're a five-talent person. There are people living all over this world that are on the same planet, the same dirt, in some place in the same world that we call home that will never be able to have as much money as you have had in your hands in your life. And some of you say, I don't have that much. That's all relative. Right? There's just simply the reality that in the world we live in, finances are distributed uh, all types of varyingly ways. But the truth is, is it doesn't matter how much you have. You have the power to create joy through good stewardship. That's what Jesus is telling us. Do you resonate with that? Is that true? So we have to liberate ourselves. It's not about having five talents, right? You realize the two-talent servant had four at the end. That's less than the five-talent servant started with. But Jesus doesn't say, you know, you, you did good, but you're not going to have as much him. No, no, it, that makes no difference to the eyes of God. He's not like... He's not obsessed with us all being rich and having a bunch of money. But he is very, very committed to us being a joyful people and using the talents he's given us, the money he's given us to create joy. Right? That's what we're all after. We're not after money. We don't need to search money. We need to search good stewardship. Okay, so the one servant who gets cast out into judgment, the, 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 the parable continues. And Jesus actually offers a very radical commentary on what good stewardship is. Because I think we'd read that. We go, you know, I guess maybe the slave with the five, he, you know, he probably uh, bought some land. It increased. And then he got some good stocks and maybe bought some Bitcoin, right? Made a fast investment, right? That is not, that is not what Jesus tells us, okay? So he actually goes into the judgment. And he starts giving us a commentary on what the good stewards look like, what the poor stewards look like. And he says this in verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he'll sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, these are the good stewards, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Check it. For I was hungry... And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. Naked, and you gave me clothes. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then they say, Lord, 
When, when did we do these things? When did we give this thi- this, these things to you? Well, what you did unto the least of these, you did unto me. Then, then the ones being judged, you withheld. You didn't give. You closed off. Are you following me? So Jesus making a commentary here on what good stewardship looks like. Looks like generosity. Looks like giving of the talents you've been, you have received. That make sense? So what is generosity? I would say generosity is a covenantal act motivated by selfless love. And it serves to bond two or more people together, right? It's an act of self-giving. It's a covenantal act of self-giving, motivated by love, no strings attached, not given for a kickback, I'm not given for influence, I'm not given for control. It is a covenantal act, giving of myself, no strings attached, that it forms a connection between two or more people. Right? We've experienced, we've experienced this. I remember when I was in Israel, there's a man, I can't wait to meet him in heaven one day, changed my life. God used him to radically shape my view of the generosity of God. I thought I was going to be sleeping on a sidewalk. He ended up getting my, me and my brother a room and writing, getting us an envelope of cash that just spoke one of the most powerful messages I'd ever received from the Father at that point. I don't remember this man's name, but the place that I have for him in my heart is so deep because he gave. He gave, and our lives are connected forever now. He's part of my story. I'm part of his. Right? So when we give, it actually creates a relationship. It creates connection. It creates bonds between human beings. And this is so important because, like I said earlier, a wealthy life is a life of generosity. So what that means by default then is that a wealthy life is a life that is rich in relationships. There's a relational capital that's created because I have given myself to so many people. There's just, there's bonds everywhere from the generous life. Are you following me? Can you see that? It's like there's just, you're bonded with lots of people. When the Lord looks at you, he sees there's web of connection. That's the generous. There's these channels flowing between you and other people. So I'm going to keep journey on this and this is going to feel like a little bit of a turn, but it's not. Just bear with me. So I want to look at the tithe now. Who just got so excited? <laughs> Don't worry, we're not taking an offering tonight. Uh, that is not my goal. I want us to get God's perspective. Let's think of the tithe. The tithe is a gift. We look at it sometimes like it's this duty. and It is a gift, and I want to show us the gift of it. Uh, so in the Old Covenant, the tithes established because the 11 tribes got land and inheritance. The Levites, the priests, did not. So they had no way of providing for themselves. So they were to give 10% of their first fruits to the temple. That were the feast the priests could literally eat. Um, and that's how God ordained uh, just this um, spiritual thing, uh, this, the, just the workings of the economy in Israel. And so we are not in the Old Testament, and some people uh, rightly, they will say, you know, the, I'm not, I'm not, that's the Old Covenant. Tithe's the Old Covenant. We're New Covenant. I don't think I have to pay my tithe. That might not be right, but they are correct in saying uh, that the Old Testament, that is an Old Testament principle, um, clearly defined. It is not clearly defined in the New Covenant. Um, and so in the New Covenant, uh, Jesus comes, he ordains this New Covenant, better covenant with better promises, and uh, and 
sometimes we think it's like, oh, yeah, he, like, pushed the old covenant away, and it's all new. Uh, he actually upped the ante, right? So if you read Matthew 5, he's like, uh, you know, he's like, yeah, you heard it said, um, you know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say, uh, you know, uh, anybody that curses your brothers, you're going to be guilty uh, to punishment. You know, you heard it said, uh, if you commit adultery, you're going to get in trouble. But I'm telling you, if you uh, look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Right? You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say, pray for those that persecute you. Right? He's like, up in it. Up in it. And he says, you know, uh, you actually have to be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. And he says, and if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness has to surpass that of the Pharisees. Right, so read Matthew 5. He just he ups the ante again and again. I'll read you a couple more just because it's kind of funny. It's like I think if we would have been there, I think we would have been like, oh, gosh, cringe factor. It's really awkward in the room. He's stepping on people's toes. Right? He's like, again, you've heard it said the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. I say to you, make no oath at all. Right? Uh, you've heard it said... Uh, it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. But I say to you, don't resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. He's like, oh, yeah, nope, taking it higher. Yep, taking it higher, taking it higher. Right? So I think if Jesus was talking about the tithe, he'd be like, you heard it said 10%, but I say to you, like to the rich young ruler, if you want to follow me, be my disciple, sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, then you can follow me. <laughs> Let that sit. <laughs> So what he's saying is, you already said 10%. I want 100%. I hold nothing back from you. I want you to hold nothing back from me. That's called surrender. Right? And so what is the role of the tithe now in the new covenant? I would say this. It is a principle now that's established. It's a guiding principle that's actually meant to disciple us into the surrender of our finances. Right? So it's the principle is this. 10% goes to your local church. But life's in the voice, so God can tell you to do whatever he wants. He can say, hey, I don't want you to tithe there. I want you to give it to so-and-so. I want you to give it to so-and-so. I want you to give it there. He could also say, no, I don't want you to tithe 10%. I want you to tithe 50, right, because it's all his. And the tithe, but it's our tutor. It's this starting point. It's like the ABCs of like, hey, hey, I know. You got a lot to grow in learning how I do finances, but this is how you can start, 10%. And from that, I'm going to disciple you into a place of the full surrender of your finances, Right? So how do you know if you have surrendered 100% of your finances to the Lord? It's actually very simple. In Matthew 7, or I believe maybe Matthew 6, Jesus says you can't serve wealth and mammon. The next verse says, do not be worried about your life. This is why I told you these things. So you know you have surrendered your finances when there's no more anxiety, no more worry about your finances. You can't worry about something that's a hard word. Oh, that's a good word. It's a hard word, but it's a good word. You can't worry about something that doesn't belong to you, right? So the tithe, it actually, it's discipling us. It's the stepping stone that we can learn to yield our finances, which then positions us to begin to hear his voice. Right In John 7, 17, the Pharisees are angry with Jesus, and they're accusing him. They're saying, you're, what you're saying is not from God. And Jesus says this, it's a profound verse. He says, if anyone is willing to do the will of the Father, you'll know if I'm speaking of myself or if I'm speaking from God. 
So what he's actually saying, he's saying, your level of surrender when you are willing to do his will, you've submitted to the will of the Father, you are then positioned to hear the voice of God and discern if it's coming from the flesh or if it's coming from God. Does that make sense? So as it pertains to our finances, this time, as we are learning the surrender of our finances, we are actually positioned to begin to hear his voice speaking into this is how you can steward them. Now, this is amazing. When God begins speaking into anything, guess what results? Life, peace, joy. He can't do anything but who he is. And I want to say, too, that does not mean you're going to get more finances. But what does it mean? You're going to get more joy. He's going to show you how to steward your finances in a way that creates meaning, that creates the kingdom, that brings purpose, that brings change. Because you're letting his voice, you're letting his wisdom govern them. Are you following me? So the tithe is like this. It's this gift. He's like, hey, here's this starting point. That I can, you can just begin to trust me so that I can just, you're positioned to hear me. And I can teach you how to use finances like me. I'm a genius. I want to teach you. Do it my way. Just trust me. Right? God doesn't want to steal your money. God doesn't want to steal your joy. God doesn't want to make you like this beggar. He wants to, he's given you money so that you can be a conduit of blessing and to create the kingdom through your life. It's energy, man, and he knows how to use it. Isn't that cool? I told you the tide's cool. It's awesome. Now we can get excited. Yeah! <laughs> I get to give my money, right? So I want to I wanna just continue on the implications now of generosity. Okay, and I actually want to pull back now to this macroeconomic view, okay, to the 10,000-foot view of planet Earth, right? Very simply put, God is a father. He wants all his children, he, he has a very relational mission called the kingdom of God, which is I want all my kids to come into an experience of my kingdom, peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit, right? He wants his kids to experience his goodness, Right? And we look at planet Earth, there's all types of brokenness, sin, subjection, slavery, bondage, oppression, addiction. Right? There's so much brokenness. And last week, how does that get, we're going to create the kingdom. Right? So God sees this planet, he sees his family, and there is so much potential for callings. Right? Sometimes we, it's, just, it's such a lie when people start doubting, have I missed my calling? Is there a calling for me? Is there a power? Yes. Look at the brokenness. Look at the pain. Look at the darkness. That's your calling. Somewhere in that, we, there's like room for a lot of callings. Can I get an amen? You haven't missed your calling. You're not too old for your calling. You know, you're not out of, like, there is so much potential left. Right? So, God, he's got, he, he has this generous heart. Okay, I want to create my kingdom on earth. And God is a, everything he does is relational. He would rather use a community than an individual. Right? God likes, like, okay, how many people can I use in doing this? So he's like, okay, I'm going to use them, then we'll use them. To, you know, it's like, he sees this, like, relational web, right? He's like, I'm going to use 8,000 people to do that. Why? Because he loves connecting people. He's relational. Right? He wants everyone to share a piece in the process. He wants everyone to have purpose, everyone to have meaning in what he creates. Are you following me? So he will use as many people as he can. To accomplish the, the inbreaking of his kingdom. Okay? So this is cool. Back up. 
the generous, right, you create these bonds everywhere, right? You've created all these relational bonds. When God trusts your heart, when you have demonstrated to him, I am a generous steward of what I get in my life, he looks at you and he just sees these channels, channels, relational bridges, hundreds of them, hundreds of them, thousands of them. Doesn't know how generous are you? How much have you given, right? So he sees and he looks at earth and he sees your life connected to this life. That's connected, 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 right? So then when he's like, okay, who am I going to use to create this? Guess who, guess who are like the targets? Guess who are the people with the bullseyes on their heads? The generous. The generous are. Because he's like, I know if I give that to Jordan, he's going to give that to Miriam, who's going to give that to John, who's going to give that to Mark. Are you, are you following me? God's like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. Because God will give to you what he can get through you. Right? And when he trusts, oh, it's not going to get clogged in greed. It's not going to get clogged in anxiety and fear. It's not going to get clogged in your own materialism and consumption. I know what they're going to do with the resources I entrusted them. He will give, and he'll give favor. He'll give what? Right? Are you following me? Not to make us rich. That's not his goal. What's his goal? To give us an opportunity to experience joy because of what we were made to do. God so loved the world, he Gave. He wants to see us like, man, Jordan so loves the world. And when I give it, it's like angels. Dude, watch this, guys. Give it. It's like, he gave. He gave. He gave. Are you following me? This like makes God so happy. He's like, gosh, they look like me. They're acting like me now. So when he sees the church, it's like, what would happen if the day comes when the world's like, the church so loves the world, they give. I'm not up here advocating to raise our church finances. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not here saying tithe the church. I'm saying so much more than that. I'm saying let's go love the world in such a way that we're just looking, okay, how can I give? Where can I sow? God, I want to, I just speak into me. Speak to me. Show me. Where's the, I just want to be a part of what you're doing. And I want to be known as a generous person. I want to be like my father. Amen? Isn't that cool? Um, by far, it's easy when I think of the wealthiest person I know. Uh, it's a man uh, named Moses in India. He's Pastor Moses. And he's the wealthiest person I've ever met. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that everyone in here uh, probably has more money than him. Uh, he's not rich by any stretch of the imagination, but he is exceedingly wealthy. And uh, being there multiple times, I've talked to multiple pastors, leaders, people who have told me the reason I am who I am and I'm doing what I'm doing is because of that man's life. And they've all told me different stories that have a very similar theme, and they're this. I was with him when I knew he had no money, and his kids didn't have money to get food for his kids that night, but he couldn't help but uh, give all his money to get haircuts for the kids in the slum or to buy them pencils or to get them a shirt off, give them shirts so that they're not exposed. And he gave and gave and gave. And they said, I'll, I'll never forget this. I'll never, I've probably heard, you know, half a dozen. I'll never forget this story. Never forget this story. I'll never forget this story. Gave and gave and gave and gave. He was a young man. He had a bicycle and Bill Bright uh, saw him and got him a scooter 
because he was so moved. There was this man right into the slums just loving people. He gave and gave and gave and gave. And you now look at this man's life. I think he's in his 70s. It's mind-boggling to try to quantify or qualify what God has done through this man's life and through his family. All his kids, pastors, pastor's wives, have children's homes, uh, seminaries, like, I mean, and then beyond the, all his, like, spiritual kids, <laughs> pastors, leaders, changing their world for the better. And they're all pointing back to one man that so loved the world, he gave. And I promise that he, he wasn't rich. <laughs> I promise that we have five talents and he had one. But he's the wealthy one. He's the one that entered into the joy of his master. And, and anyone that's been there, you can attest to this. The family has a very humble royalty to them. There, there's just this way they hold themselves that they're just marked. You're like, there's something about that family. There's something about them. right? They host us. right? The stereotype when you go to the Global South is, you're the rich Americans that you got all the money. They take us and they won't let us pay for meals unless I force them. They'll take us out to restaurants. You are our guest. We will pay for you. And I know they don't have a lot. I know that they're looking and figuring out how are they going to pay for their budgets that month. But they're taking us out, a team from America, and they're paying for our meal. Because they're wealthy. They understand the secret is not in your possessions. It's in the generosity. It's in the wealth that you cultivate from giving of your life day after day after day after day. And that man's legacy has marked me. It's messed me up. I want to look back. I'm like, God, I want to give like he gave. I want to have the wealth that he has. When I look at the world he's lived and the connections that he's made and the relationships that he has because he gave. It's the wealthiest man I know. It'll be someone I think we all just get to honor in heaven one day. But the amazing thing, the beautiful thing, actually the kind of scary and disturbing thing, is that why can't that be us? What, what's keeping us from giving our lives away, but our money away to the world? What's going to impact eternity? You were brought into this world with nothing. You're going to leave with nothing. So what's the purpose of this money? It's to create the kingdom. To create something eternal in this little stretch of time we have. So my prayer, my heart, why I'm sharing this is that the Holy Spirit will make us a people that are generous. A people that are governed by wisdom in the way that we steward our finances. A people that have no anxiety as it pertains to their financial future. How amazing does that sound? That's not like in a dream. That's not like an ethereal hope. That's like, Jesus, hey, don't be worried. <laughs> Surrender it all to me. Um, so like I said, we're not taking an altar uh, uh, offering. Uh, that is not my desire or heart. That would be the opposite of what I'm communicating right now. What we are going to do is uh, I, I want to pray for a specific group of people. There's ministry out like there. Um, but I'm going to pray for everyone in a second. But we were in a pre-service prayer the Lord um, just really put it on my heart that uh, some of you have been jaded and, and wounded uh, by either something you firsthand experienced or something in your family, but some um, uh, um, misgiving, um, financially speaking, and it's jaded your heart, and there's this skepticism that you just have pertaining towards finances in the church. And I just, uh, I just felt prompted to just say I'd love to pray for you um, if that is you. Um, and so... Uh, I'll invite you forward after we pray for everyone, but I'm just going to invite you all to stand, and I just want to pray a, a prayer blessing.
and then I'll dismiss you to go out and get ministry in the lobby if you want to do the prophetic booths. Lord, I thank you for the gift of money, uh, something that we all deal with every single day. And Lord, we want to be marked by wisdom with how we use it. God, we thank you for every dollar you've given us. We thank you for every uh, need you've met. God, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us, the, the, the energy that it is, God, to create your kingdom. And whatever circumstance we're in, God, I just know that you have a strategy for what financial stewardship looks like. You, you have wisdom for how to be generous in every season of our lives, God, whether with great or with little, we can be generous. So I ask God for the generosity of your heart to become our living reality, Lord, and that we will so love the world that we will give just like you. We wanna be just like you, Dad. We wanna, we wanna do our finances just like you do. God, so we're just inviting you to come and just release wisdom tonight that will open our eyes, God. I just pray, God, that we can be like Pastor Moses, Lord, and that the same spirit that he has just given himself to and cultivated, Lord, it will inspire us and incite us, God, to give light, to live lives where we just give and give and give, God. And give us wisdom, Lord. Give us wisdom. We want to be faithful. God, we want to be faithful. We want to be full of love. We want to we give with no other thought, God, just but for love. Just want to give for the sake of love, just like you gave for the sake of love. Lord, you gave Jesus, God, you gave us Jesus, and you knew you'd be manipulated. You knew you'd be beaten. You knew you'd be taken advantage of, but it did not thwart your generosity. So, God, I pray that we will be a people that love so fully that we will give without fear. God, we will give. We will give. God, I thank you that you're faithful in every season. I thank you that you see the difficulties, those that are carrying the burdens of debts, those that are carrying the burdens of past mistakes. God, and you can take those too. I feel like some of you, Jesus is saying, you can give that to me too. You can give him the debt. You can give him the bad decisions. You can give him the past. And God, I just ask for redeeming grace upon us as a church tonight that you will liberate us, God, to live the lives of joy that you've called us to. We thank you, Father, that you have the wisdom available to each one of us to be good stewards. God, we want to steward well everything you've given so that we will have joy. God, we ask for contentment and joy tonight in Jesus' name. God, we want to steward your calling. We want to steward what you've given us well to see your kingdom come. In Jesus' name.